What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey. 90 Min's top cat, Toby Cudworth, and writer-editor, Spurs and Brentford man, Sean Walsh, who has just seen Spurs and Brentford play in the opening weekend of the Premier League season. Entertaining fixture, Sean? Yeah, it was a good match. Back and forth, back and forth. I thought Spurs settled down a bit in the second half. That I was actually more impressed by that because I thought it was going to be completely manic throughout but I think Spurs really matured and took control of the game and it gives me hope for the season ahead that it's not going to all be kind of kamikaze style defending it's not going to be completely high up the pitch all the time so yeah plenty of positives I'm feeling good about Spurs after the weekend there was plenty of kamikaze style defending or lack of defending across quite a few fixtures that I noticed this weekend Man United's win over Wolves was fraught with midfield space Liverpool versus Chelsea was fraught with that I thought that first half was utter chaos, but you know, there we go. How did West Ham do, Toby? Quite stodgy to watch, mate, as I think we probably expected it would be from West Ham. But I think the key is I said West Ham could conceivably lose their first six games. They didn't lose to Bournemouth, and that's the good thing. Um, but they did have a very low defensive block when they took the lead, and I think they can't continue doing that throughout the season. You can't protect leads um, when you're sitting basically on your penalty area, but. Not a defeat, which West Ham have done 15 times in the past. So uh, we'll call that a positive. Well, we are talking about on-pitch action, but that is very much a sideshow in the case of what's happening in the transfer window. Graham, this is mad. This transfer window is mad, isn't it? It is. I appreciate the fact you didn't touch on Middlesbrough there, so thank you for well, that. I, they're not um, doing too well, right? Well, in, in, well, actually, off the pitch and on transfer front, we are starting to do so because we've managed to move on Chubrak from finally heading to Ajax um, for 15 million euro. Interesting signing. Um, Lons were in for him, decided not to do it. I thought he'd be better suited to France, if I'm being honest. Um, although he's going to go in there to play understudy to Brian Broby. So I think he'll do okay. Um, but yeah, we finally got some money in at Middlesbrough to do some deals. Um, Emmanuel Latila is coming in from Atalanta. Um, sounds like a cappuccino from one of your posh London coffee houses, but he's coming in. And um, yeah, so Millsburg, we're probably three weeks behind a lot of the other teams in regards to transfers, but fingers crossed uh, we can back Michael Carrick in the window. Um, but yeah, in terms of window, it's nothing surprising us at the minute. You know, there's not, there's barely a single one that we can brush off and not really chase up because in the end it ends up being right. But yeah, it's one of those windows where anything, anything and everything can happen and has so far. Apart from Liverpool signing a six, uh, that has not happened and it does not, not appear like it. <laughs> not for lack of trying. We'll talk about Moises Caicedo, Romeo, Lavia at the top of the show because this is just some of the, the most box office transfer business I think I've ever seen, really. Chelsea have now got a midfield three. Oh, isn't they're not all official yet? Romeo Lavia is not official yet. Moises Caicedo is official at Chelsea. I think that totting that up, that's going to cost them 
in excess of 270 million pounds for three players, which is mad. Uh, but Chelsea aren't done either. We'll talk about what Chelsea are doing. We'll talk about those midfield battles with Liverpool, both on and off the pitch over the last few days. We'll talk what Liverpool will do next. We'll talk Harry Maguire to West Ham. Is he, isn't he going to West Ham? We'll talk Lucas Paqueta, potentially, most likely, Graham said, matter of time, this one, uh, to Manchester City, especially after Kevin De Bruyne was ruled out with injury for dependent on surgery, I think could be as much as four months. So Manchester City definitely need. Do Toby, do they need another one? Do they? Uh, I think with De Bruyne out for that length of time, yes, because they're competing in so many competitions. Um, I think Phil Foden will have a more prominent role this season, which will please Graham. I think he'll be playing more centrally, which will be good for him. But I can see why City need another one. I don't think you can really quantify how much losing Gundogan means to City. I know Kovacic has gone in there, but personality-wise, the fact that he was a leader and he drove that team forward, I'm not sure Kovacic necessarily can take that mantle on immediately. So De Bruyne being out of the team, I think Pakatar makes complete sense. Um, And as Graham says, I think a deal is there to be done and will be done. We'll talk about... Uh, West Ham's other targets as well. Mohamed Kouda is potentially an option. We'll talk about Spurs because they have sold Harry Kane. We've uh, obviously now seen Harry Kane fail to win a trophy in his first fixture as a Bayern Munich player. The Spurs curse carries weight. We will also talk about potential departures from Spurs. We'll talk Nicolo Zaniolo. We'll talk Newcastle, who are not finished in the market yet. And obviously, Al-Hilal assigning Neymar. So that is a transfer that I could have saw coming from a mile off a few months ago. Uh, and I think, Graham, we 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 were among the first, not you in, to suggest that Piff wanted Neymar several months yeah, ago. Yeah, um, very much so. We weren't big on it. Um, there wasn't even a hint of it at the time. And uh, yeah, they've got their man. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before this Newcastle loan link with Piff comes about in Saudi. I think it's a matter of time before Newcastle sees someone who they want. Will it be this window? I think it might be a little bit earlier, might step on a few Premier League tours, but I fully expect in January, if there's a player in Saudi, 99% of the good ones are owned by Piff. So if there's a good one in Saudi and Newcastle and Eddie Howe want, I, I don't think there's any qualms about them doing a deal. There's nothing to stop them in the rules doing it. So I think it's one we'll be talking about in January, guys, in, in late November, December time. If Newcastle are desperate for a midfielder, is Ruben Neves available? Forward, is Neymar available? Is Mitrovic available? As We'll talk about him later in the show. Um, I think it's something we'll, we'll talk about increasingly in a large amount that um, Piff will be um, moving players from one of their clubs to another. Talking about rules that have uh, not been put in place yet, I mean, Chelsea have fully exploited uh, every single loophole you could possibly imagine in their transfer business over the last 18 months. How, how high up are we now? 850 million, uh, a billion dollars, though, those kind of regions uh, from Todd Bowley and co. I don't think we've really seen... Enzo Fernandez was mad, but I, I think this uh, the Moises Caicedo pursuit, Graham, was mm. as mad as I've ever seen. And to be fair, that's not only because of Chelsea. That's because Liverpool have shown their hand, shown their cards, had a bid accepted of £111 million. Jurgen Klopp's confirmed that that bid was accepted and that they were in talks publicly. And Liverpool have been publicly, I don't want to say embarrassed or humiliated, but it's, it's getting to that point. And Chelsea have their man. And they're doing the same with Lavia as well. Talk us through the last week, Graham. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think I think they've been humiliated. You know, I think they have wasn't truly. They they thought they were getting him. He was booked in for it all happened. Um we when did we do our pod? I can't remember Friday morning. It happened on Thursday evening where Chelsea at that point on Thursday morning was still umming and ahhing. They were still interested in Kaiser though. We knew they were. Well at that point they were stuck at eighty million. Liverpool came in, agreed the fee, hundred and eleven million. And Caicedo was penciled in for his medical on Merseyside um, after, as we were talking, and after on Friday, Friday lunchtime, um, 
he told Brighton, he, he didn't really say, I don't want to move to Liverpool. I'm told that that didn't really come out of his mouth. He just said um, he wanted Chelsea more time to raise a bid. That's when the suspicion started coming out. That's when we saw these little ripples on the pond started to come and they became waves because, um, yeah, he made it clear that he wanted to join Chelsea. Once I think once he knew that Chelsea were willing to come back in, I'm told, that's when he, that's when Caicedo really put the brakes on Liverpool. As soon as he knew that, because don't get me wrong, I think if he, if Chelsea had said we're out the game now, he would be a Liverpool player by now. But once he knew that Chelsea was standing by him, I think that played a big part for him as well. That Chelsea was standing by him, they were being loyal in the terms of the that Gonfin made him a prime target and pursued him again. And yeah, and 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 that's how it went about. And Liverpool. It's very strange the way they go about the business. You know, they, they're acting with money that they hadn't previously had because of Fabinho and the Henderson money, which Klopp said that was the only reason they bid for him because they had that money. Um, it, it was strange to me that obviously they, they showed Lavia as well, the fact that we want Casido over you. Um, we ended up going back and having player. a 60, mil- 60 million bid accepted for Lavia, right? After refusing to go to 50 a week ago. Yeah, and then that's too late because Lavia is done with Chelsea. Um, it's it's a remarkable series of events, Scott. It really is. But I, I, I do agree with what you said at the outset. I think it's a humiliation for Liverpool, whoever they're getting now, and we'll talk about where they're going next. It's it's their second choice. Are they second rate in comparison to Caicedo? Yeah, they will be. No doubt in my mind. Whoever they, unless they go and get Chumani from Real Madrid, which we know they love, but we know it's not going to happen. Unless they pull something out the hat like that, he's going to be second rate compared to Caicedo. And that's a huge body blow to them. And, and you know, because I think Caicedo, we've talked about fits, haven't we, all through the window, the whether the Mount of Fit for United or someone else. But I I thought Caicedo was a great fit for Liverpool. That said, he is a great fit for Chelsea as well. He's one of those players, I think, they're both desperately, as you wrote in a piece on Sunday, Scott. Um, you know, it was hard to say which one needed him most. Um but he's going to be in the blue of Chelsea. Very interesting um, Twitter video they did to release. They did that um, uh, remake of that picture he did a few years ago with his mother. Um, but yeah, fabulous day. But yeah, it, Chelsea were confident. But Chelsea as well, from what we've been told, Scott, they're not worried about financial fair play too much because the amount of sales they've had, the amount of homegrown talent that will be sold as well. Because in FFP terms, when you sell a homegrown player, it has a bigger impact because, you know, you haven't paid anything for him. He's going, so Chalabar, you can add to that as well. Maybe even Gallagher will be going out as well. So of all the bonkers money that Todd Burley's done, all the bonkers deals, I still think Mudrick's the most bonkers one, but they're not, you know, you say, it's strange, isn't it, where we'll be talking about Newcastle, who are really scrambling around, deliberately not trying to put their toes on a financial fair player. And at the moment, it's not a worry for Chelsea, amazingly. Well, I mean, talking about all the bonkers stuff, I mean, you look at the fact that that midfield now will cost $222 million just for Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez. At least your midfield is set for however long both of those players want to stay at Chelsea. The thing that is most bonkers to me is that they still don't have a nine or a, or a keeper. And... like I don't know, Sean, what did you make of... I know you were at Brent, the Brentford game, but... Uh, Chelsea fans quite high on what Nicholas Jackson did that day. Personally, I thought that there were some chances that he should have taken. And if you're going to compete at the top of the table, you need a striker who is not on Erling Haaland's level, but at least cold enough to take some of the the chances that he's going to get. So that suggests Chelsea still need to go and get a striker and go and get a goalkeeper because Kepa's gone to Madrid. Robert Sanchez isn't your automatic first first thought as a world-class keeper like how much more are they going to do Sean do you think well you touched on it there Jackson missing chances that's the history of Chelsea strikers the last few years isn't it you know they never never really find the right one you know in the history of them being a rich club it's basically just been Drogba who was never he had a couple of good goal and boot seasons but he wasn't really a prolific league scorer and then Diego Costa who could barely stay fit half the time or was fighting the manager I still I think I said it on a couple of pods ago that Chelsea will find a way to score goals because Pochettino does bring that out in players that if it's not another nine, then someone will step up. And I think by the sounds of it, Jackson had a promising enough debut where he might be given more time to prove that. And I think having watched some of his highlight reels and compilations from the end of last season with Villarreal, I can see 
the potential for that, but you never really know. With a goalkeeper, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think Robert Sanchez is good enough. I think the goal that he did concede was... Was it the goal he conceded or the offside goal? One of them where he looked a bit like a hologram, where it kind of <laughs> rolls under him. And you're just like, do you fancy doing something, mate? Because Well, Chelsea fans are just happy enough that you can come and collect crosses. Yeah, I saw that. Things, yeah. So... Yeah, leaving the leaving GTEC on Sunday, it was like, oh wow, he came and got a cross under pressure in the 90th minute. It's like, oh, we're setting the bar, bar really high here, lads, aren't we? So they are, but, I, but to, in credit to them, they are setting the bar high in midfield. If there's one thing that I've looked yeah. at over the past, over the, the the games in the Premier League over the weekend, is that I understand, and maybe Toby, uh, we had this conversation a few days ago. Why are Chelsea spending all this money on this player and this other player? To me, I think those sixes are at such a premium at the moment. The way that Man United played on Monday night, they need somebody who can cover every single blade of grass if they're going to play that way all season. And that's not going to be possible. There were so many gaps in Liverpool's midfield. Chelsea were easy enough to penetrate through the middle for for spells in that game. And they had to change system to to accommodate that, even though Poch said they, they did play with a back four. But... Do you at least understand? Chelsea have got that part of the pitch fixed. Let's just say that, right? Absolutely. Um, it was stark, wasn't it? Your piece that you wrote on Sunday was who needs Moises Caicedo more? The answer is Chelsea and Liverpool and other teams. As you say, we watched United on Monday night against Wolves. They got overran in the centre of the park. Casemiro looked a shadow of the player that we know he can be. Um, I feel the price for Caicedo is extortionate. I think it's too much. And I've said that previously. But you do understand when you see the weaknesses in other teams, just how important that player is. And that I look at West Ham, Declan Rice was the linchpin of West Ham's midfield. He held everything together. We'll see how West Ham's season plays out without him. But he went for £105 million. So clearly, getting the players in the middle of the park right is what Arsenal wanted to address. They were willing to pay the big money. It's what Chelsea have wanted to do all summer long. Liverpool, to an extent, Manchester United have also dipped into the central midfield market. Let's not forget they're playing Mason Mount in that role. So it's a different profile of player, but they've still spent the money. Um, the one thing that I take away from Chelsea's business, you're speaking about up front, Scott. I think we're seeing more and more now that Michael Elise looks to be closing in on a move to Chelsea as well. I think Chelsea's eggs are in the Christopher and Kunku basket for being up front. When he returns from injury, I think it's pointing towards him being the central striker and the fact that he scored 16 goals in the Bundesliga last year. It's not prolific, but he scored a lot the season before that. I think he is maybe being looked at as Chelsea's number nine, certainly for when he gets fit, maybe into next season. Nicholas Jackson was never meant to be the first choice striker. Um, He looked good in flashes, as you said, on Sunday, but he hasn't got that cold instinct. He didn't take his chances. Chelsea will know that he's not the one that they really want up there. Um, I'm sure Graham will tell us they still want a marquee signing as well up front. I don't doubt that, but I think Nkunku is plan A. Ultimately, they'd like a Victor Osman, but you can't not address your midfield concerns. And they've certainly done that right. Lavia, Caicedo, etc. Great business. Graham, can I just tail this in with coming back to you? Chelsea are mopping up all of the most talented youngsters in the world. We talked about Andre Santos a few months ago and a few weeks ago. They've been trying so hard to get him a work permit and this kind of thing. They have so many. I know, maybe they're light on the wings and they want to sell players on the wings. But you look at that central midfielder area itself and you're adding all of these talented youngsters to it. Like, But you've got your two, really. Where Where's the pathway for these players? Or is it going to be a case of, no, we're going to send you out on loan and sell you later? I don't know, I think it's a slightly different with Pochettino now. You know, um I totally agree with what the boy said. But I, I, I really don't think Caicedo himself is 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 too much money. I look at what Bellingham went for and he's and then is just less than Bellingham. I think Caicedo is up there with Bellingham. I do. I think I think he's great. Um I think with him being in there, it, it gives Pochettino that chance to experiment in other places. We saw Chuck Wumaker on Sunday. I think that's where he'd penciled and Kunku to play. You know the opposite to Sterling, and maybe swap over. I think that's you could see. Imagine if they'd started with Sunderland and Kunku one side and Sterling left. I think that would have actually fitted and worked pretty well. I think obviously the number nine is an issue. I think we, I think Chelsea might still do something. You know, 
would it be Ali Wahi from Montpellier, someone who West Ham are looking at, and, and a few others? I, I still think there's a deal there to be had for a big number nine. I do. I think there's something in, in the wins. I would still wouldn't rule out Vlaovic 100%. I still wouldn't rule that out. I, I think they'll do that. Goalkeeper-wise, I think Sanchez is okay. He's no worse than Kepa. He's not better, but he's no worse. So I don't think they're any weaker there. And uh, But I do think um, Chelsea will do something there. I think that there's, there's options available there um, for the goalkeeper. I think Madishvili, um, Gorgi Madishvili from Valencia. I think he's the most likely candidate there. I think he ticks a lot of boxes. They do like Costa at Porto, but as we know, Scott, he's United liked. He's, he's expensive. Doesn't I think matter for see... Chelsea, Graham, does it? No, I, but I think we might see Madishvili there. I think that could get done pretty easily. Tip Valencia need the money. Um, we know he's available, so I think that one could get done, and then it'll move to the striker front. And uh, presuming um, Lavia joins Caicedo in that midfield, and then we'll see a few exits. Might be a few surprising ones, you know. I still don't think Conor Gallagher's sitting there, really isn't. Um, keep an eye on him, especially with Tottenham. Um, so yeah, might be a few more surprising exits from Chelsea coming up in the coming weeks. So, what of Liverpool then? Uh, they have lost. They've been after Romeo Lavia for a number of weeks. Uh, they've been, I think they had three bids rejected by Southampton. Was that, that, that the case? And didn't meet 50 million, switched their sights to Caicedo. That one, they lost. They go back to Lavia, 60 million bid accepted. Chelsea come in for Lavia as well. Liverpool get blown out of the water. What, what is it down to? Uh, first off, Graham, I guess, is, is this about money? Is this about project? Uh, do we... We got enough to divulge there. Yeah, I, I think with Lavia, let's not underestimate the 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 um the role that Joe Shields has played in this. You know, the head of I can't remember it's technical head of recruitment or something he's part of the recruitment process at Chelsea. He was at Southampton, he persuaded him to go to Southampton from sitting in the first place. Interesting that Lavia never really in this process at any point, he didn't come out. And his people weren't particularly briefing strongly, like we had from Elise's people about Chelsea and from Caicedo. We haven't really had that with Lavia. I think he was open to Liverpool. He was. And, and that was a move that appealed to him. But I think he always had that relationship with Joe Shields. And I think once Chelsea came strong, I think once Lavia could actually, when they were linked to him early in the summer, we were all not poo-pooing it, but where where was he going to play? I think after watching them on Sunday, you can see, could we see a Caicedo, Lavia, Enzo, midfield three? Very, quite easily, couldn't we, in the future? We could easily see that. So I think Lavia himself can see a pathway there now as well, which I think has helped matters. Obviously, there was a pathway at Liverpool for him to go in there. But um, yeah, I think Joe Shields has played a big part in this um, to get him in. And, and he trusts him, the family trusts him. So I think that's really... The key here, Scott, I think that's where, where Joel Shields um, has come in. And in terms of Liverpool, yeah, wow. Um, where, do, where, where do we go for them? The the Courier Palace is too expensive. They do like him. But they have £111 um, million pounds to spend, Graham. They do. There's Carlos Belieber. There's Carlos Belieber at Lille, who Brighton is trying to sign. And there's a lot of teams in the Premier League actually looking at him from the West Ham's, Newcastle's, Nottingham Forest, I've heard. A lot of teams look at Carlos Belieber. We did a story back on him in March. And a lot of people in France think he is actually far superior to Amadou Inanna, who went to Everton last summer, and he replaced him. A lot of watchers think that he's far superior. So he's an interesting one to keep an eye on as well in this Liverpool conversation. Tyler Adams, they played that down, decided not to, apparently. They were looking at him, but Bournemouth have agreed to meet that trigger asking price. I don't know what's going on with Tyler Adams at 20 million. I think <laughs> absolutely state. He was brilliant for Leeds last season. I just don't know why people aren't taking a chance. He'd he'd slot into that Liverpool midfield. Yeah, he's no Moses Caicedo, but he's better than he's better than Alexis McAllister playing there, as we saw on Sunday, who was just I think he was just trying his best, but people were running off him all day long, weren't they? So I think they do need this holding midfielder in there. Um but the one I think to keep an eye on, guys, I've said this all summer, I think Ryan Gravenberch from Bayern Munich. I think they might even do two, but I think Gravenberch could be one of them. You know, let's see how it. He was waiting to see how the the season goes with Bayern. I think he wants out. I think he knows there's a role he can play at Liverpool. So I'd keep an eye on him. I'm still hearing his name quite a lot. Toby, does he jump out as the six that Liverpool need for you? <laughs> no, he doesn't. I think if uh, Liverpool go after him, I think they need one more. 
On top of that, whether that's a, a Kefren Turam, who we spoke about earlier this summer, uh, Manu Kone, there's lots of options still out there for Liverpool. It's I ironic that they're thing. not linked to them anymore. So they spent so much time on those two lads, especially Turam, and just decided not to go with them. But I think you're right. We could end up seeing one of those two back on the agenda. But as they briefed weeks ago, Liverpool, that they weren't in for them two anymore. And they did so much work on them two. It's fascinating you bring them two up. And yeah, I, I would keep an eye on both of them. Um, it was interesting they went for two round, but whereas Corny, we talk about a six Scott, and I think Corny would be the ideal one. He really would. I think there'll be games, Scott, just to finish on Gravenberch, where Jurgen Klopp might be prepared to play a midfield three like we saw on Sunday. I know he was kind of forced into that with the personnel that's available to him, but with Trent Alexander Arnold going into that midfield role when they've got the ball maybe he feels like he can get away with that in certain games. So, I don't know, Gravenberch may come in as an option, but he's certainly not the answer to the six for me. I would expect Liverpool to pursue Churam Kone or another player from continental Europe. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg-sized hole, Sean. <laughs> Liverpool team. <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? I, I think that Liverpool need to go... It has to be someone quite proven now. I think it has to be someone like a, an Amrabat or a Palinia. It needs to be someone who can be that kind of enforcer because their defensive issues just have not changed at all. And I don't think Klopp is going to change his ways. So I think it needs to be someone who's just going to go in there and be almost the, the figure that Casemiro was at Man United last season, just doesn't take anything from anyone. Regardless of who it is, Graham, I mean, they, they've been linked with Palinia. At times, Fulham have put a massive price tag on him and now they know that obviously Liverpool have, as I say, showed their hand. So Fulham, who are potentially receiving a big chunk of money for Alexander Mitrovic, maybe not necessarily needing to sell. And my Apple Watch is not understanding what I'm saying there. Um, How much is it going to take to get Polina out, Graham? And... Are Liverpool going to find a case of if they go back for him? Hey, the price is all of a sudden twenty million more expensive, like it was on Lavia, you know? Uh, or is well, it just are they in panic mode? Yeah, yeah, it's panic mode. You know, we talk about Barcelona's levers. Liverpool, if you're pulling a few panic panic levers on this one, uh, Paulinho is just not available. He was at best thinking eighty million. Um, but he's he's not gettable, I don't think. I think Mitrovic is slightly different. We'll we'll come on to him when we speak about Al Halal later in the show. But um, from what we're hearing, Pauline's just not available. He's accepted that. The, the West Ham were chasing Paulinho strongly. That's when they were getting briefed that he had a release clause. It quickly, it soon emerged that he doesn't, which I think is why West Ham moved on quite quickly. Actually, once they knew he actually didn't have a release clause, they were wasting their time. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think Pauline is gettable for them. I really don't. I don't see them um, doing that. The, the interesting what, what Sean mentioned there is Amrabat. Um, the, Liverpool did like him in January and tried for him in January. I just think the what we're hearing of him is that is, um, it, it's United or Atletico in his mind. You know, we know Juventus have talked to him recently. But, you know, if, if you could get a starting job at Liverpool, uh, yeah, he's the one I keep an eye on at the moment. Um Obviously, Man United, I think, have made some promises to him as soon as uh, Fred and Van der Beek were out the door. They would firm that up. And I think he believes them. And I think we all do. So, uh, I think Liverpool might have just missed the boat on him. But he'd, he'd be ideal. I think Amrabat would be ideal for them. But, yeah, I think there's a reason they're not pushing, pushing for him again. But, hey, if someone's not, as we know, if someone's not being presented on the pitch, they're available, aren't they? Well, Chelsea didn't win the game at the weekend, but they have certainly won the off-field battle with Liverpool over the last few days and pretty much sorted out their midfield that you'd expect for the next five years until... It's Moises Caicedo actually a Chelsea fan, by the way, because, I mean, they, they made a big song and dance about this and I've seen interviews of him dreaming of Madrid and uh, being liking Man United over the past few years. I'll move on. <laughs> Just wanted to ask the question. Uh, let, let's move on to uh, let's move on to United because Toby, what the hell's going on with Harry Maguire? Because West Ham had a deal agreed. They had personal terms essentially agreed. What was what's the holdup here? Is this one actually off, like it's been suggested today, or is this just a case of West Ham forcing United's hand get the payoff sorted out and we'll take him? Yeah, I don't think it's off. I think that is 
not the right way to frame it. West Ham frustrated. I would say that this has not progressed at the pace that they would have liked. Ideally, West Ham wanted Harry Maguire in before the weekend. Um, personal terms are agreed with him. A fee is agreed with Manchester United. But the issue is that the United and Maguire end, in terms of a severance, we've said all along that Harry Maguire's wages would be a big problem for West Ham. And the only reason that they've been able to agree personal terms is that there's a huge compromise from Maguire's side. But he wants something from Manchester United. They're ushering him out of the door, I think, is the best way to frame this. They're telling him that he doesn't have a future at Old Trafford. He's lost the captaincy this summer. So it's clear they want him gone. But Harry Maguire is is standing firm. It's You can liken it to the Frankie de Jong situation, I guess, in a way. Frankie de Jong wants his money from Barcelona. Harry Maguire wants his money from Manchester United. I think this could be revisited. Um, West Ham are looking at other options. That much is true. At least three or four other players that Tim Steeden has identified that West Ham could go after um, using some of his old connections in Germany. But like the James Ward-Prowse deal that was on, then it was off, then it was back on again. I think this is just not a tactic, but I think this is something that will work towards a positive conclusion later in the window. So don't be surprised if it goes quiet for a week or so. And then as the deadline creeps closer and closer, it comes back into the news stream that Maguire and United are still talking about this and that the move actually happens because from United's point of view, Graham, they would like Benjamin Pavard to come in. Me and you did a story this morning on this. Um, Bayern have raised the price, but but United aren't going to necessarily get Pavard unless Maguire goes. Yeah, I, I don't think United I'd want to stock up anymore in defence. Um, it's already a bit crowded back there. But Pavard is one who, yeah, he's the one who'd have chosen to come in and he's the ideal solution for them can play is is a is arguably a world class performer both centrally and at right back. He's the ideal person come in we, we spoke about Yuri and Timber but Pavard arguably is equally as good um if not better in some aspects of defending anyway. So yeah and but that's the thing Bayern know that they're getting the Maguire money so they're now what 40 million euros. The Maguire situation yeah he, he's playing hardball with United. Um he wants basically, I don't think he necessarily wants all the money, but he wants most of it. And he doesn't want West Ham to pay. He wants United to give it to him. So, yeah, I, I think it's it, the right phrase is West Ham could pull out this deal. It's not off yet. And Moyes really wants him. I think that's a big thing here. Moyes, David Moyes really wants him. He's made him feel wanted. So I think, I agree, it will get done, Toby. But um, United are going to have to give a bit more, I think. Well, that's the problem that you have, as I tweeted this morning, if you're giving... Uh, players who are not the right fit for your team or not of the required quality, massive, massive wages is going to come to a point where it's a bit of a problem to actually shift them on. United find that with a lot of their players. Harry Maguire is... Now, Toby, you mentioned there about alternative options for West Ham. Are there really alternatives or are these uh, to David Moyes anyway? Because we know he wants Harry Maguire that much and we know the the friction with Steeden as well. Yeah, I think David Moyes is pretty dead set on Harry Maguire. We know that much. Tim Steeden is doing his due diligence. He's basically doing his job. He's presenting alternative options um, from a market that he knows very well that West Ham could pursue instead of Maguire. But West Ham wouldn't have got this far with the Maguire deal unless they fully intended to complete the signing of him above all others. Um, so yeah, Steeden will present some options to West Ham. Um, a couple of his old Bayer Leverkusen players, Jonathan Tarr, one of them that West Ham could consider. But I think it would be remiss of us at this stage to look beyond Maguire. Um, West Ham just keeping their options open, as we've said. Uh, Toby, talk us through what's happening with the rest of the team then, because obviously they sold Declan Rice for uh, £100, £105 million. Pounds in great. Well, I'll come to Graham first, actually. You used the term before we started recording this is a matter of time, it, like when, not if, in in terms of Lucas Paqueta's transfer to Manchester City. Is that the case? Yeah, from my understanding, Man City are very confident. And this was unrelated to the Kevin De Bruyne injury, which we found out pre, pre-pod. Um, but I think that just will only accelerate the situation. Yeah, he's the player's desperate to go. 
he was as, as as me and Toby reported during the summer, he's wanted to go all summer. Once he knew that David Moyes was staying as manager, he wanted out. I think that relationship is um it's it's not done and dusted, but I think you know, as much as Paquetta might want to leave, I think David Moyes is happy to see him go. So I think it suits both parties. West Ham are going to get rewarded for it. It's interesting that um, I, don't, I don't know TC's thoughts on this. So I did, I've had a few West Ham fans suggest that whilst um, whilst Declan Rice was the better player, maybe he was more replaceable than Lucas Paqueta because he's a generational talent, Paqueta. Um, and I see it as that. I think he is going to be an absolute super signing. Um, I think he's going to be the long-term replacement for Nerford, Silva, De Bruyne. He's such a great fit, and it will get done. I think it's going to be about eighty-five million. It'll get done as it'll slot in there straight away. Play from he's got that Premier League experience as well. He's a perfect signing for City. He really is. Kovacic and Paqueta. We know we know Gundogan is virtually irreplaceable, but I tell you what, it's it's not too bad signings to come in and help. It really isn't. And City once again proving they are one of the best performers in the transfer market with this deal. They made the move pretty quietly until obviously until it emerged um, ten days ago, but. Yeah, matter of when, rather if Lucas Paqueta will be a Manchester City player before the transfer window closes. Uh, who will be a West Ham player, Toby? Uh, Mohamed Kudus, an option linked with Brighton, linked with Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United over the past few months. What will they do? How are they going to spend that money? Because they already have enough I know they bought Ward Prowse and this kind of thing, uh, but they still have some Declan Rice money to use up. And if they're going to get 85 million for Lucas Paquetta, how are they going to spend it? Number of positions West Ham still want to fill. Um, Harry Maguire obviously ticks the centre back box. I think West Ham would like another left back. Aaron Cresswell is trying to engineer a move to Wolves. He's been training alone this week. So West Ham would need additional cover at left back. Uh, I think ideally another striker would be coming in. We've been talking about. Eli Wahi for a few weeks now in West Ham circles. I think that's a deal West Ham is still very much looking at. Um, maybe a bit of internal conflict as to whether or not he is the the profile of striker that West Ham wants. I know Tim Steeden is very high on him. He rates him highly. Um, potentially concerns over his asking price. And as we've touched on there, Arsenal, Chelsea interested. Eintracht Frankfurt, actually the club who are probably the ones to watch in this space likely to lose Randall Kolo Mouani this summer, potentially to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, so they're looking at Wahi as an option to go in there. I think Wahi probably leaning towards a move to Germany at this stage. Um, but West Ham would also like another left winger. I think if if they could, um, up to half a dozen signings is what me and Graham have been told before the end of August. And we've only had Edson Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse to date. So more business will be done. I just think one thing to add on the Lucas Paqueta deal, this is the first time that West Ham have spent big on a player and they're actually going to make a profit, which is potentially why West Ham would look at this deal as being favourable. Okay, they've only got one season out of Paqueta. He's a wonderful player, really, really talented. As Graham said, I think he could do a brilliant job for a top team. The key thing here for West Ham is that they haven't spent close to £60 million and then they're cutting their losses like they've done so often in the past for half that price. To get an extra £20, £25 million for him, I think is actually good business. And if David Moyes is going to be sticking around, um, although we're concerned that he could be one of the first managers on the chopping block, let's be honest, Paqueta is not a David Moyes-style player. So if he is going to stick around, it gives him the chance to maybe reinvest that money into players who do suit his style of play. Um, so we could even see another creative midfielder like Kudos. West Ham interested in him, but I think that may be difficult for them to do. As Brighton have found out, they agreed a fee with Ajax and Brighton are playing in the Europa League as well. But Kudos knows that he's got bigger fish interested in him. So he's not really looking at Brighton as an option. I'd put West Ham probably in that same boat. Yes, they can offer decent wages, but is that really where he sees himself ending up? Maybe not now. Maybe at the end of the window, if no one else has come forward, he might do. Um, but expect more at West Ham, Scott, for sure. Plenty of irons in the fire there. Please subscribe on all your major podcast platforms and follow us at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey, and at Sean DZ Walsh, 90min.com forward slash talking transfers for all the latest from us, 90min.com for all the latest news 
that isn't just transfers. Uh, but let's jump back into transfers and talk about Tottenham. Sean, what are Spurs planning on doing in the next few weeks? How long have we got till the window closes? I Two and a half weeks-ish? Yeah, just over two weeks. Um, I think Spurs' priority right now is getting rid of some of their players. They still have quite a bloated squad. There haven't been too many departures so far this summer. They're, they definitely would have hoped for more, but I think it's the case with Spurs every summer and they fool themselves into thinking it's going to be quite an easy job when it isn't. Um, one of the players on the chopping block, Eric Dyer, omitted from the matchday squad to face Brent from the opening day. Ange Postacoglu was asked about this post-match. He said that he's not injured. It was just a matter of there were other players that he wanted to pick on the bench. I think after some impressive preseason performances, Davinson Sanchez has moved back ahead of Dyer in the pecking order, which is a completely mental sentence. Something I didn't think I was ever going to say in the last three, four years. But he has the recovery pace needed to pay, play in the system, and Dyer does not. Dyer has one year left on his contract. It doesn't look like he's going to get another one unless he stays beyond the transfer window and Spurs want to retain some value. But there are some clubs interested. Um, Dyer did an interview with the Times last year. He said that he wants to play abroad again. His former club Sporting were looking if they thought that they're going to lose Gonzalo Inazio. Their cross-down rivals Benfica were also looking in case they sold Antonio Silva. But right now it looks like those two are going to stay. Elsewhere, Monaco have made an inquiry. Some Bundesliga clubs have made an inquiry. Closer to home, Crystal Palace are admirers. Celtic are admirers. And then there's Al Nazir. There was a report this weekend just after that Brentford press conference where... I think people jumped the gun a little bit. There's a report from the Middle East saying Dyer had agreed terms of a move to Al Nazir, and that was close to being done. Not necessarily quite there, but there is interest from Al Nazir. And Al Nazir, crucially, would be able to give Spurs more money than some of these other interested clubs would be able to. So maybe something there. Um, I think once some of those players are out, like Dyer, like Pierre Mulhoberg, who's still wanted by Atletico Madrid, they'll look for some more forwards. And they are talking to the likes of Gift Orban. They have spoken with the likes of Jonathan David in the last week. Um, Graham, we did a piece last week. They even spoken to the likes of Alexander Mitrovic, but that's something maybe we'll come on to later with Al Halal. So it does look like Spurs will use some of this Harry Kane money towards the end of the window. But I do think it is going to be dependent on shifting bodies as well to spend the money that's already in the bank. Sean, do you think that Tottenham ideally should have got 50 million from Man United under Jose Mourinho for Eric Dyer just a few years ago? Oh, it really, really should have. And it's not like you say that because uh, I've been doing, I've been doing a classic match this week. I've been rewatching Man United two on Spurs from the FA Cup semi-finals in 2018, and Dyer played midfield that day. It reminded me. It wasn't like amazing. He wasn't wow, what a player. He's never struck me that kind of player. But it, but it made me think. He was really good as a defensive midfielder. He was so good as that kind of anchor that. This number six that a lot of these teams need now. Like I think if that version of Eric Dyer would be someone that Liverpool would be going after, that version of Eric Dyer is someone that maybe Man United would look at now to partner Casemiro. And he wanted to play at centre back, and his career has just not been the same since. He's just not that good at centre back. He was much better in that old role. And yes, my the short answer is yes. Tottenham should have accepted that bid and used that money then. They definitely should have accepted that bid because I was tearing my hair out thinking that one might happen. Uh, yeah. I, anyway. I, think, I think you should have done it, Scott. 50 million for Eric Dyer. And can I remind you, 50 million for Issa Diop. That's another oh deal. Oh, my that goodness. Re- <laughs> really <laughs> should have happened. Then we would have had peak Manchester United. But yeah. Now, we were 50 talking million 50, for Wash Danny Rose. 50 million for Dominic Calvert Lewin at one point as well. And uh, he hasn't played a game since. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Graham, uh, let's talk Aston Villa because bad news in the camp, really. Another uh, big injury, Tyrone Mings, you know, picking up ACL damage. I think it was uh, not the first thing to happen to Villa either. Uh, Buendia also suffered a long-term injury, didn't he? But Nicolo Zaniolo is somebody that could be coming in. Let's start there and I'll quiz you on the centre-backs in a second. Um, really rotten luck. Losing losing two big players um, within their squad to two long-term injuries. Uh, Emi Bundia and then just days later, Tyrone Mings. Yeah, we're not saying either of those are cornerstones, but they are, they are big players for me. They're both, they're both 
would have been down to play 20 games, Premier League games this season. You do need... It's a squad game in the Premier League this season and losing two players like that is huge. And but in terms of Mings, I think they will go into a central defender market now, maybe alone somewhere, you know. Um, to, I was thinking there, Sean, perhaps Eric Dyer might be an option for them. Or I'm, it wouldn't surprise me. If Villa, Ooh, yeah. Villa were looking at I'm, Villa, Villa were looking at Imeric Laporte before Pau Torres. Did they go? Uh, obviously, Tyrone Mings. I envisage Tyrone Mings possibly playing left back for them this season, going long term. I could have seen that. I do wonder whether they go down that route again for a Laporte, even a Dyer, or do they go more for a left back? I do wonder if they go for a left back to replace him. But I think they will do that in terms of Bundia's replacement. Looks like Nicholas Zaniolo is coming in. Uh, Munchie's done his magic again. This is a guy who signed a four-and-a-half-year deal at Galatasaray in February after his amazing move to Bournemouth didn't quite come off. Um, but he's he's gone to Turkey and done very well. He's got five goals in 10 games. He's got himself back near to the squad. Um, he's played really, really well. And um, Villa are doing it as a loan deal. Four million euros down. Possible of 27 million euro to make it permanent, and there is some mechanism in there for it to be a mandatory fee. I think if Villa wins something or something like that, but it's a good deal. Um, do you know the way you know if this is a clear sign, guys, of how much he works, he gets the deals done over that, and, and having the right people in within the hierarchy is so clear from a deal like this, you know, find the player, get it done, you know, they're not. And and it's 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 getting it's almost done before we know about it. That's how these teams operate. I do top class operators are it's hard to come by in football, but Villa have got one. And and I quite like to send you all the deal for Villa. I think it works, you know. Bundia it could it could be an improvement on Bundia. I really do I like Saniolo. I think he's from people I've been to in Turkey said he was absolutely fantastic for Galatasaray. Um he had a bad time at Roma, but if he goes to, to Villa and produces his best stuff, it could be a cracking signing. Let's move on to the team that beat them 5-1 <laughs> on the opening weekend of the Premier League season, Newcastle United. Uh, Graham alexander Isaac, mm. you know, looking, if he can stay fit, you know. Your fantasy team will be having a hell of a year in our draft league, and let's just say that. Well, I, you, I, do you know what? I, took, I did take him out of my other team, Isaac, because I had to, I'd spent too much money and he had to sacrifice Isaac for... Um, Alvarez and someone else, but yeah, um, yeah, he's he's like um, showing Sunday what he does. But I do think Newcastle get off lightly sometimes in this. You know, um, in terms of you know, people hear people saying, "Oh, they're working the magic in 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 the transfer market." They paid over seventy million for Andrew Isaac. He didn't pick him up for ten million. It's cheap nowadays, Graham. It is. It's a good. And, and you know what? It's not easy spending this huge money. Um, it's a good pickup. He's he's proven himself now. Wonderful finish, wasn't it, for that um, for that chip over the keeper, and and Newcastle were just um, dominant. You know, he, he, Eddie Howdo, I think, was proving that he still got work to do on the team. Barnes on the bench, and we still understand they want at least another one. I've been told too, they would like a number ten, but also another fullback on the left to cover. You know, the the Kieran is a long term target. We know that the interesting one's Matt Cucciarella, who. Actually, was linked again with Newcastle in January under Dan Ashford. Dan Ashford lo- loves this player, and I think it's a it's a case of if Cucurella wants out and Chelsea want him out, I think Newcastle are basically saying, oh, "Well, we'll take him." Yeah, oh, we're not going to pay his full wages, and we're not going to pay you a lot of money. But if you want him out, we'll take him. And I think it's something that Chelsea will consider. So watch out for Tini and Cucurella. I think it's a case of them two teams wanting the players out, and Newcastle will take advantage. To do it though, um, if it's not a loan, to buy them two players, they'd have to do it with um, a buy with a mandatory. Same reason that what they would do with a big name number ten. Um, Newcastle, Newcastle are not doing what some teams are doing. They are not going to push the lip. They're not going to push the boundary with this FFP. They are making sure they are going to be white and white. They're not even going to put a toe next to the line. They're going to make sure that nobody can say anything about them in FFP. Um, they know the Premier League for whether it's right or wrong and looking at them clo- more closely than others. I don't think it's right, but that's what the Premier League are doing. So Newcastle are making sure we don't go over the line with that. They've still got a lot of squad players to get rid of. The likes of Jeff Hendrick, Ryan Fraser, yeah, they're still at Newcastle. <laughs> they have to get rid of them. Um, but yeah, I think they'll do maybe they'll do a fullback if they become available and maybe a number 10 as well. But I think Newcastle are in a good space. If the right players aren't there, they won't do it. But if they are, they might do a couple. 
Let's uh, sign off today's show with a roundup around PSG slash Saudi Arabia. Let's start with Mitrovic, though, because obviously he is a, a subject of interest from Al Hilal. Uh, Graham, I'll come back to you on this just because I know he's your favorite player of all time. And is this one, is this a, it's been mooted for a few weeks, kind of quietened off a little bit. Is this back on? What, what's the latest with it? Yeah, the information we're getting is it's back, well, not back on, but Al Hilal are still interested. They've got to come back with another offer. They've got Neymar over the line. I guess, you know, Scott, they didn't get Mbappe. Um, for that money, they bought Neymar, so they probably got a spare, spare 50 million, 60, 80, doing nothing on the side. So let's throw that again at Mitrovic, maybe. Um, that's probably the thinking. Um, and yeah, they're coming back in for him. I, uh, and Mitrovic is pushing for the move. He was on the bench on, on the weekend, didn't look happy. Um, again, I think this might happen. I really do, guys. I think, um, the look options, honestly, and I, for life of me, I can't understand why Mitrovic isn't being looked at by likes of Bayern, Chelsea, even when Manchester United win. I, I don't understand why Mitrovic isn't being looked at more closely by the bigger teams. I really don't. Um, it's a mystery to me. Um, but yeah, it looks like Al-Halal are pretty confident they're going to get him done. Once they paraded Neymar with his new number 10 shirt, which should be before this weekend, I think they'll come back strong again for Mitrovic and um, I think Fulham, they might come up with an offer that Fulham just can't refuse. But they want, I think they want, they want 50, Scott. So I think they're going to have to be around that figure to get him. We've mentioned Neymar there, top of the show. And just now, I mean, that PSG, how do we reflect on this PSG move then? Uh, Toby, I'll come back to you just because, you know, he moved for a world record fee of 200 million euros at the time. Still a world record, right? Yeah, nobody's, nobody's even getting close to that currently. Mbappe. No, two, two, two million place. euros. Yeah. yeah, it's a long way ahead. Um, the, the same cost as the Chelsea. No, no, the Chelsea midfield cost more. Anyway, uh, let's talk about let's talk about Neymar uh, signing off from Europe, and it appears that that's it. You know, he left Barcelona to take the reins at PSG. How do you reflect on his, that part of his career? Is it a big failure? Has he made the wrong decision? Has his career tailed off? Because I know that there's many people in the world who absolutely love the guy still. But story of unfulfilled potential for me. Yeah, for me, his PSG time, it has to be a failure. He was taken to PSG to win the Champions League. It wasn't to win Liga. That was a given. Um, PSG have only got to one Champions League final in the time that Neymar's been there. So, And they lost that. Um He's been injured so much of the time, hasn't he? I think he's been there six seasons. His record, his individual record for PSG is outstanding. I think he's scored 80-odd goals in 110-ish league games, which is brilliant on paper. But again, that's just consigned to the league. Not as effective in the Champions League, although I still think he was going at a goal a game ratio. And when PSG did have bright moments in the Champions League, Neymar was typically at the centre of them. But he was always overshadowed by Mbappe in the latter years. Um, I think if he'd stayed at Barcelona, we would have seen more success from Barcelona in European competition. Um, I can see why he wanted to step out of Lionel Messi's shadow because that's essentially what he wanted to do, right? He wanted to be the guy and he wasn't going to be that at Barcelona. I just think, unfortunately for him, things haven't worked out at PSG and he hasn't helped himself. Um with his injury record and the fact that he is always absent at the same time every year. Um, he has a lot of detractors, doesn't he? He's not seen as a team player particularly. So he's great individually, but yeah, I don't think you can look at this spell as anything different. It's a failure. Well, without getting too ripple effecty, uh, PSG took him out of Barcelona. Barcelona spent the money absolutely terribly that they received from him, plunged themselves into financial ruin and have since been trying to, uh, bail themselves out of it with lever after lever after lever pulled. So, th is this one of the worst transfers in history, Graham? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but I think, as I said on last last week's pod, I think PSG are coming out of this amazingly. Yeah, forget about Al Khalifa and what he's talking about in Mbappe and stuff. Forget about that. But in terms of Louis Campos and Enrique building this team back up, they've got Usman Dembele. Randall Colomouani, it looks like it will be done. 
So I think they're actually doing an okay job at like, actually doing proper normal signings. And then this Neymar thing, getting Matt Lewis Enrique's hair, I think works. Um, yeah, Neymar, it's just, was it paying that much money for a player? Is it ever going to work? You know, anything less, no matter what he did in, in PSG, the fact that he hasn't lifted a Champions League trophy means he's a failure. And I think we'll have the same conversation about Kylian Mbappe, is to a lesser extent. But has he been a success in PSG? Has he been then? Because we know Messi was a failure. Neymar was a failure. Can we then say Mbappe isn't a failure? I think it's a fascinating conversation we'll have. They're big three. They haven't won what they haven't done what they were signed for. So I think Mbappe, I think Mbappe has had a lot of success with France. But in terms of PSG, I think all three of them are coming up as failures. Well, they do have one more shot. Kylian Mbappe has won the power battle, I think. We can maybe say that. He'll get his move uh, to Real Madrid at some point. As far as we understand it, Graham, it's, he's still set on that, despite all of the uh, you know, suggestions to the contrary that he'll extend his contract again with PSG. <laughs> again, really? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those where PSG said weekend, or suddenly he's back in, he's back in the... In, in the in the in the squad, not in the squad, in the club, etc., and that he'll finish the season with us. And Mbappe is people briefing and say yeah, that's what that was always the situation. You know, we had Al Khalifa briefing the Paris journalists that they might even have to make redundancies if Mbappe left on the free and stuff. Absolutely disgusting comments, disgraceful the way he's acting. How honestly, he he is just an absolute. Scandalous owner, he really is. And and for him, Seth BSC, he's might have done this even there. That's just disgusting beyond the realms of anything. And and Neymar's better off out there. I really do get him out. And uh, and and yeah, PSG. I think they've, I said I think they've done well off the field. But yeah, the way this whole saga is going on, um, I I genuinely hope they do lose Neymar on a free. I hope Neymar just walks away from him and doesn't give him any money. Genuinely hope that as a guy with players out. Talking Mbappe there, uh, just but he yeah, Mbappe yeah, I hope, has one. I hope he walks. Yeah, he, yeah. When, he, when he said, "I love, I, I just, I just love to see Khalifa's face when he gets that phone call saying he's signed for Madrid on a free." Uh, Shawnee, that one's that one's going to happen, isn't it? Uh, I'll, I'll come back to Neymar with you. I've have the have the sign off, Sean. Uh, how do you reflect on that whole dynamic? I guess. I mean, there was even suggestions that. Uh, Mbappe's liked an Instagram post saying that Neymar wanted him out and he was so happy as soon as he learned that he was leaving and this kind of thing. Just that if that isn't an encapsulation of the dynamic that has been messing this club up for several years, what is? It's such a soap opera, isn't it? Like, I, 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 I love Neymar as a player, wonderful player. I've got, I don't have a problem with him doing the roll around thing. I, I do not care. I think he's a, fabulous player to watch when he's when he's going the problem is that he's been available for pretty much less than half of the games that PSG have played since he's been there I don't think maybe he expected Mbappe to become such a kind of overlooming figure in the history as well I think when they signed them both I know Mbappe it was what was it the loan clause and it was 150 mil or something like that I don't think they expected them to be up there with him and then eventually overtake him but you just can't you can't justify that kind of fee with what's happened and then everything the, all this nonsense when you think of PSG not once have I thought yeah those guys have got it together I have never thought that they were favourites to win the Champions League even that year they got to the final I don't think they were favourites I think Bayern were just a much better team it never felt like it was going to click for PSG and I think I don't like the state of them now I think they're still a mess now everything that's gone on this summer they've brought in some nice players but not amazing players but this over the next two three years when they can really reboot this whatever project they're going to go with that's not the superstar one then they'll be able to kind of just this 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 is it this is the start of the new era but they've still got some work to do I think. well they're turning a corner uh i i didn't see their game the other day but I, am i right in saying that they had loads of possession and didn't score it sounded awful. It sounded oh, that sounds sounds Enrique. very much like Luis Enrique. Uh, <laughs> so one game with that, it's like, oh, can we get Killian back? Yeah, let's get him back. Oh, well, Killian Mbappe, I'm sure, will be back in the PSG fold at some point. I'm sure he'll end up at Real Madrid at some point in the next year as well. But we keep going for an hour. We're never meant to... These are meant to be 40-minute hits or something like that. But there's just so much happening that you're just 
there's even stuff we've missed today that we should be talking about but we have to cut off at some point we're doing it just shy of an hour thanks to toby thanks to sean thanks to graham uh we're all recording this from separate rooms in our in our office uh, minus graham who's uh, taking some time away uh but thanks guys uh for another talking transfers from graham toby sean and myself scott Follow us on your, all your major podcast platforms at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey, and at Sean DZ Walsh, 90min.com forward slash talking transfers for all the latest from us, 90min underscore football for the social channels, and 90min.com just for the latest. We are covering Lionel Messi and into Miami uh, beyond belief at the moment because there's a massive fuss. And he's making that league look pretty silly as well, by the way. Uh, the just levels above uh but yes uh cover come to 90min.com for all the latest and 90min.com forward slash talking transfers as i said thanks to the guys thanks for listening everyone today we'll be back on friday for more talking transfers see you soon say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.